Hi, everybody. Welcome to Unrestricted, the podcast that interviews noted public figures that have now returned to a more private life. My name is Steve Savitsky, president of B'nai Tzion Foundation, former president and chairman of many Jewish organizations. The people you're about to meet have great wisdom and experience. They were all leaders in the Jewish world and have much to share, unrestricted, with our listening audience. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Unrestricted. This is Steve Savitsky, your host. And today we have a very, very good friend of the Jewish community, Dove Hyken, who was a former state assembly member for New York State Assembly for several decades. We'll find out exactly how long. And it's a pleasure to welcome you. Dove, good morning. Good morning, and it's uh, good to be with you. Thank you very much. So uh, how many years were you actually a member of the state assembly? Well, the real number is uh, 36, uh, 36 years, twice high. And uh, it was an amazing part of my life. And I know that one of the things uh, that you're interested in is why did I leave? You know, why did I decide uh, to leave the legislature? You know, my answer usually is 36 years. <laughs> you know, After 36 years, I wanted to do something else. God has given me the opportunity my entire life. Many years before I was elected, uh, politics was not something that was part of my family or something that I was involved in. I was involved in Jewish activism uh, back in the day, uh, uh, the Jewish Defense League in New York, uh, fighting for Soviet Jewry, Syrian Jewry, anti-Semitism. Uh, those were great days. And uh, I got involved in politics purely because someone said to me, there was a, a, a possibility uh, in a particular district. They said, you know, you could continue doing your Jewish activism, you know, as an elected official. I said, really? I, you know, so that's really uh, how I got involved. You know, when I got married, uh, you know, we never talked about politics. I wasn't part of any club. I wasn't involved. But, uh, you know, I always deeply cared about the Jewish people, and especially when you have parents who you know, went through the Holocaust, when you have a mother who was, went to Auschwitz in 1944 with her family and almost everyone was murdered the day they got there. So, you know, it sort of becomes part of your DNA, you know, the recognition that you've got to be there for fellow Jews. You've, you know, you've got to speak out, stand up, you know, each and every one of us to do our share. You know, it's not about solving the problems of the world. Uh, it's doing your share and the rest is in the hands of God. So, I mean, there's no question you had a great career in the New York State Assembly. So I think it'd be interesting for me, first of all, exactly how does it work? Is that a, is that a part-time gig or is it a full-time or is it a... Well, it has become much, much more over the last 10, 20 years, uh, a full-time job. You know, it, everything is how you take the job and what you do with the job. I found myself you know, working full time, there was never enough time, you know, uh, just as an interesting thing, you know, I, I have a BA and MA in political science, uh, uh, Queens College, Brooklyn College, and I actually, before I got elected, I was attending uh, the Graduate Center on 42nd Street towards my PhD, and uh, in political science, and uh, was on my way to getting a PhD. And then I got elected. And I thought, oh, now it's going to be even easier. 
because, you know, I don't have a boss, actually. Uh, well, except for the 150,000 people I represented. But now I'm really going to be able to finish, uh, you know, and just the opposite happened. You know, we just got so busy and so tied in. And so, uh, you know, again, like I said, it's what you do with the job. And that goes for any job. And uh, I found myself busy more than full time. How does it work? Do they expect you to, I mean, they don't pay you enough to live off the salary. So therefore, obviously they expect you to find another source of income. And how does that go with, in other words, there are so many opportunities because you're now part of the state legislature. There's There are business opportunities. I mean, we read a lot about what happens to people, unfortunately, in that situation. So is it meant to fail because of that? Look, uh, you're correct that there are opportunities all the time. Your world becomes a much bigger world and uh, you meet people from everywhere. Uh, but to me, it was, you know, I made a living from the job, you know, my first seven years in the legislature, I was actually teaching uh, a course at Baruch College in political science. But again, you're in session between January and the end of June. So it's a little difficult. Uh, but look, if one wants to make extra, remember, it used to be that a lot of the members of the legislature were lawyers. So uh, on the side, their law practices continued or their businesses or whatever they were doing before, they could continue doing that. For me, you know, my profession before getting elected was uh, actually I always loved teaching, being in a classroom, speaking to young people. Uh, that was always something I found exciting and and still do, you know, lecturing and speaking and uh, doing that. But, you know, we lived uh, and did not complain, you know, living off the salary uh, that we made as members of the legislature. So, uh it was fine. It depends what you're used to. It depends uh, what's important to you in life. We made uh, do with what I was making as a member of the legislature. Wow, that's really, really very uh, commendable. So I just want to make sure I understand it also. How does the New York State work? So there's, a, there's, a, there's an assembly, and then there's a Senate also. Is it similar to the way it works in Washington, or is it different? It, yeah, it's the same thing. You, you, know, you have the executive. Uh, that, of course, is the governor. And then you have two houses, uh, the state Senate and the New York State Assembly. I think the Senate is 61 members, maybe 63 now. I don't know exactly. But 150 members in the New York State Assembly. Uh, each uh, district is approximately uh, 135 to 150,000 people. You serve for two years, meaning that you have to run uh, every two years, which I did 18 times. Uh, but as I said, the legislature met between January and July. It meant traveling to Albany once a week, sometimes twice a week, back and forth. Uh, I got to know the roads, the highways to Albany quite well, 163 miles <laughs> from my home, uh, literally to the parking, you know, uh, at the Capitol. But, you know, it, again, being able to serve, being able to make a difference uh, make no mistake, when you are in elective office, you have tremendous opportunities, not just to serve the individual, which uh, uh, I think, Baruch Hashem, you know, I took pride in. It's not what you read about in the newspapers. I mean, serving constituents uh, doesn't get you headlines and papers. Other things do, but 
being able to help people, being able to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, you know, I meet people all the time, Steve, you know, everywhere, you know, who come over to me and say, do you remember you helped me uh, back in 1985 or 84 or 90? Or Don't you remember, you know, that particular thing? So, you know, you can really truly make a difference on a individual level. And of course, for me, as you know, being there for the Jewish people, speaking out, standing up, uh, just being involved. You make those choices, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. And to me, the barometer always was. It wasn't about being a Democrat and it wasn't about being a Republican. It was about being an American and about being a Jew and being loyal to the Jewish people and standing up and not being afraid, you know, uh, whether I probably supported more Republicans than anyone else in, in elective office over the years. And it was only because I looked at the individual in terms of uh, what I thought would be best for the Jewish community. That was the barometer. That's what I cared about. And I I did it at great risk, no question. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't deserve any uh, pat on the back. But, you know, one of the worst crimes you can commit <laughs> in politics is uh, supporting someone from the other party. That's a real Avera, a real sin. And But I did that on a regular basis. I'm not going to go into the warnings that I would get from the leadership in the Democratic Party. You know, it wasn't easy. And people come after you, you know. They don't care that you're doing it because you really believe that you these are your principles. Being a Democrat or Republican and supporting someone from the other party is the worst thing you can do politically. And I did it all my life. And again, you know, when people would say become a, you know, why aren't you a Republican already? I would always say it's not about being a Republican. You know, sometimes we see a lot of things that are going on. You know, there's no question the Republican Party today are better friends to the Jewish people and to the state of Israel. No question about that. But, you know, there are issues within the Republican Party, sometimes where people indulge in behavior that is uh, anti-Semitic. So, it, again, it's not about being a Democrat or a Republican. It's trying to do what you think is right. And and not just talking about it in your living room, bedroom, uh, or kitchen uh, with your friends, but actually standing up uh, and, and doing the right thing publicly. And that's what I hope I did over the years. So you obviously you served with a lot of different governors. How many? And uh, what were they like? How different were they? I mean, some are rather explosive figures when you think back on it. So tell me a little bit about it, if you can. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, look, the governor that got elected the year that I got elected was Mario Cuomo. Uh, I mean, he was considered to the public, uh, especially liberal, uh, the liberal public media. Uh, he was like a superstar. You know, they talked about him running for president, uh, being chosen for the Supreme Court. And uh, he was definitely a personality, no question about it. But I remember back in uh, my early, early years, at that time, the speaker of the New York State Assembly was Stanley Fink and from Brooklyn. Very powerful, very powerful. And in 1984, he, you know, he made the mistake of appointing me. I asked for it. Uh, uh, to, to be the chairman of the subcommittee on human rights. And the first thing I did back then is address the issue of affirmative action, which, you know, was so clear that it had 
tremendous implications for the Jewish people uh, because, you know, Jews were very, very successful and affirmative action basically discriminated against uh, against Jews. I mean, today it's against Asians, as we all know. They're the ones who are the targets because they're very successful. You know, too many Asians at, uh, at universities, too many Asians getting into the great schools, even high schools. So we held hearings in 1985 on affirmative action. Uh, two days uh, at the uh, U- uh, Graduate Center on 42nd Street with uh, all kinds of people coming. But the leadership of the assembly, <laughs> they were furious at me. The chutzpah, to, uh, you know, affirmative action, that's like a civil right. So I just remember that after the hearings were held over a two-day period, with all kinds of people being invited, after literally within months after, they got rid of the subcommittee. I was removed from the subcommittee, <laughs> and there, w- there was no such committee anymore. It was there. Uh, back in, in the early you know 1980s, uh, and I was I was the last chairman, but because of what I did, they said let's just get rid of this. Uh, it's too much of a headache. So I remember that. So you know Cuomo, you know he was the governor for a number of years, but the final time when he ran, he ran against George Pataki, and I endorsed George Pataki. And by the way, the reason I did, and it was like three years in a row, there was Al D'Amato who ran. I believe it was 1991 against Bob Abrams, uh, the Democrat. The following year, it was uh, Rudy Giuliani against uh, yeah, David Dinkins. And then the following year, it was Pataki against Cuomo. And that was real chutzpah. I mean, Cuomo's considered like, forget it, he cannot be beaten. But all three of those years, when I endorsed the Republican and held a press conference, the day that I endorsed them, which, by the way, was in every newspaper, every TV station, my endorsement of the Republican in those days. The reason I gave, the reason I gave, was the Crown Heights riots. And in the case of Bob Abrams, my question to Bob Abrams was, and he, you know, Bob Abrams, a Jewish guy, sends his kids to Ramaz, I remember. The question that I asked each one of those people, where were you during the Crown Heights riots? When Jewish blood, was being spilled in the streets of Crown Heights. You were the attorney general, Bob Abrams. What did you do? Just answer that question. And we all know that he did nothing. And the same thing, of course, Dinkins, literally, you know, being mayor, we all remember there was an investigation afterwards and he wanted to give the minority community uh, a couple of days to vent their anger. And that anger was on the heads of the people in Crown Heights. So, of course, I could never support him. And the same thing was with, with uh, the governor, Cuomo. I, you know, people said to me, why won't you endorse him? He's a good guy. I said, I just wanted to answer the question. During those riots in Crown Heights for three days, okay, with the hands of the police being tied, what did he do as governor? And I knew the answer. So in those races, that was my motive. That was so fundamental to me. I mean, there were other issues, you know, but... Ultimately, it was about what was called a pogrom by many people in Crown Heights, a horrible, horrible thing that happened. Uh, You know, a lot of terrible things going on now. But that was like three days of uninterrupted rioting and bloodshed and the Uncle Rosenbaum being murdered on President Street. And these all these people did nothing. And they did nothing because 
because it wasn't politically correct because it was about the black community. Let's remember that Al Sharpton was involved in those in those riots. He was in the streets of Crown Heights instigating the crowd. So, you know, I'm just giving that example. 91, 92, 93, you know, I endorsed all these Republicans and they all won. Right, of course. No question about it. Pataki had been there for, for many years. Then there was uh, Elliot Spitzer for a little while. and uh... Yeah, yeah. Pataki was there for 12 years. And you talk about relationships, you know, having endorsed Pataki. And I knew Pataki from the Assembly. He was actually on my subcommittee on human rights. So I had, you know, it was fabulous uh, <laughs> under Pataki. I, I had an open door with his administration, with him personally, and with all the people in his administration. It was absolutely wonderful and uh, had additional opportunities, brought in millions and millions of dollars of money to uh, to groups involved in our community fighting uh, uh, groups like MASK, Mothers Alliance, you know, uh, Rahama Klapman, and all these different groups. You know, we discovered that, you know, the Jewish community is wonderful, but we also have our problems, right? We also have our issues with our young people, with drugs and all kinds of things. And I remember putting together like uh, 25 leaders of different groups to meet with Pataki. I'll never forget it. And literally things opened up in terms of funding, uh, things like our place in Brooklyn. I mean, unbelievable groups. And, and so I had a fabulous relationship with George Pataki. So Pataki was, in your mind, a great governor, great great for the state, great for the Jewish people. And then, as you said, you went on. We don't, we don't have to go through every single governor, but it must, must have been interesting to be there to see the different changes of administration and what happened. And yet, the thing I find interesting about you, Dove, is that you've remained true to your principles regardless of who has been in office, which is something very, very commendable. When I talk, when I talk about anti-Semitism, I mean, you certainly have been in the forefront of fighting against anti-Semitism. So here we are now, 2023, with a spike in anti-Semitism, with it becoming uh, so much commonplace. What do you attribute it to? And also, Besides, what do we attribute to is, are we putting together a comprehensive plan as Jewish people who are supposed to be smart? Are we putting together a comprehensive plan to really combat that, or or what, what should we do? Wow, those are a lot of questions and very important questions. Uh, by the way, the answer to your last part is no. We have no plan. We have really, I'll, I'll address that a, li- a, a little more. But I just want to say that, in my opinion, having watched this all my life, we've always had anti-Semitism. We always will. Jew hatred uh, is not going to, uh, you know, it's it's there. And until Mashiach comes, <laughs> we're going to be faced with it. Those are the challenges we have all over the world. I mean, there's anti-Semitism in places where there are hardly any Jews. You blame the Jews. I mean, it's just uh, we could talk about that in places in Asia and so on and so forth. But, we, you know, Steve... In my opinion, we have a real serious problem. I have never seen anything like this. The numbers speak for themselves. And and for most of us, I think there's a recognition there's a real problem. But for most of us, if you're not a victim, if you're not Joey Borgen, if you're not uh, Drake in Brooklyn who was wearing an IDF uh, hoodie and uh, was threatened and beaten up or... Uh, many of the other people that, that I have 
personal contact with. I mean, one of the things that we do in our organization, Americans Against Anti-Semitism, you know, I, I'm involved with a lot of the victims going to court, showing support, speaking out on, you know, the individuals. Uh, uh, but we've, Steve, we've, we've got a real problem. If, if you're the victim, if you were beaten up, if you were called an effing Jew, a dirty Jew, and Hitler didn't finish the job, Steve, that never leaves you. That never leaves you. You live with that forever and ever. So for most of us, you know, we give a kvetch, we see what's going on, you know, but, you know, I think life is very good for the Jewish people all in all. You know, I live out now in Woodmere uh, for the last couple of years and uh, an amazing community, a beautiful community. But and, and, and things are happening here, you know, <laughs> you know, the restaurants are packed, uh, Baruch Hashem and. Uh, and it's and it's expensive. People, you know, people are living a good life here. And you know, was it different in Nazi Germany ten years before, twenty years before, or many of the other places where the Jewish people lived and prospered and things were wonderful and they had beautiful homes and they had beautiful clothing and everything else in the world? It all was wonderful until it was not wonderful. Until things fell apart. Until. They did to the Jewish people what we know. I, I, you know, I, I literally do not stop. A new book comes out about the Holocaust. I read it. I torture myself, Steve. You know, like enough already. I know what they did to our people. I know what they did to men, women, and children. But you know, I feel an obligation that I need to read. I need to. I need to keep it alive in my heart and my soul. I need to remember what happened to our people. The the, the beautiful. You know, I have this thing, Steve, I got to tell you, I dove in uh, at Rabbi Bloomstein uh, in Woodmere. Uh, yeah, I never enjoyed going to shul so much as going to Rabbi Bloomstein. And I look at all the young people at his shul, and it's packed. All these beautiful kids. And Steve, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I look at these kids, and I say, it was kids like this that were taken and put into gas chambers with their mothers and with their fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers. The people were capable of doing that only because the only crime my grandparents committed, never had grandparents. You know, I'm a grandfather, Baruch Hashem, have, you know, a bunch of beautiful grandchildren. I never had a grandparent. And the only reason is because they committed the crime of being Jews. That's all it was. Joey Borgen, when he was walking down the street of Manhattan in 21, 2021, wearing a yarmulke, and a bunch of Jew haters went after him and started beating the daylights out of him, if you watch the video. They didn't know him. He could have been a member of Shalom Achshav. He could have been a peacenik. He could have been a radical leftist. And we have enough of those in the Jewish community. No. He was a Jew wearing a yarmulke. That's it. That's all they needed. You know, so that's the reality. We've got a real problem. And, and I want to tell you a little story that happened, uh, you know, two months ago that really illustrates the concern that's out there among a lot of people. I had a phone call, total stranger, got my cell phone, called me. She described herself as a woman in her 70s from Queens, New York. And what she asked me was, she said, I know you're involved in blah, blah, blah. When will we know and how will we know when it's time to leave? 
Will there be a message? Will someone tell us it's up? It's, we got to get out of here. I, could, I mean, that's what this woman, elderly woman, was concerned about. That's, that's what she called me for. Will we get that signal? That's tragic. Because we live in a great, great country. We really do. There's nothing like the United States of America, except for Israel, of course. But the U.S. has been so great for the Jewish people. But something is terribly wrong. Something is wrong that we have not seen before. So, you know, will it dissipate? You know, we're going through a tough period. It'll be okay. Can anybody say that? I mean, can I say that to people? Can you say it, Steve? Don't worry. It's nothing. It's just the phase we're going through. I'm concerned. I'm deeply concerned. And there is no plan. There is no approach. I mean, look what just happened a couple of weeks ago. You know, you had these Jew haters from the right, you know, uh, neo-Nazis, etc. They called for a day of hate, of rage against the Jewish people. Look at how the Jewish community reacted in fear. I mean, the, the, the stuff that was going around from this, this young Israel, from this, from, you know, we were in panic. If it was up to me, I would have said, bring it on. Let's be prepared. Let our communities be prepared. Let them come. People didn't go to shul that Shabbos because they were afraid. We were in total panic. And nothing happened, of course, which I, I by the way, I had no, I knew nothing would happen, but our enemies accomplished more than they could ever want to accomplish. They created absolute fear in our community. There is no plan. So one second, Zadov. So why is there no plan? If there, look, we're smart. We're supposed to be smart. We have money. We don't have numbers anymore. Let's face it, because of what's happened with assimilation. Un- unfortunately, it's it's gone. Okay, but you know we have money and we're smart. So why can't we come up with a plan? We know what they're doing. They're using the media. They're using the social media. They're taking advantage of all the things that are out there to ignite hatred. So why can't we find a way to quench that? Why can't we put the water on the fire? So, Steve, forgive me for saying this. We have a beautiful community. We have so many leaders, Steve. We have so many amazing rabbis. We have so many organizations, Steve. I mean, if you went through a list of Jewish organizations, it's never-ending, never-ending. Everybody's fighting anti-Semitism everywhere you turn, you know, and we're nowhere. And things have just gotten progressively worse. You know, when I left the assembly four years ago, I had offers to really make the money that I didn't make those 36 years. And I didn't have to do all that much at all. But if you go back, it was almost at that point that things began to happen. And I I watched this and I, I just, you know, sometimes I wished I could just you know, let someone else, you know, my mother used to say, as a survivor of Auschwitz, she always used to say to me, because, you know, I got arrested many times for Soviet jury. I, you know, I was doing things as an elected official that was rocking the boat, and I haven't stopped. My mother would say to me, in Yiddish, she was so concerned about me, and she went through hell on earth. She, she understood better than anyone what hate can do against the Jewish people and that we need to fight. But she said to me, you did enough already. Let someone else. And sometimes I do feel that way. But it's, it's, 
We have a lot of amazing people, but does anybody have a plan? You you ask, why isn't there? I mean, we have the ADL, which is so dramatically changed as an organization. Uh, I mean, they're interested in everyone's civil rights and humor. We, we've got so many problems, but you know what? They, they're concerned about everybody. Talk, let's talk about New York in particular, where there has been an incredible outbreak of hate uh, over the past four years. We did a study that no one has, no one did. We did it, us. It took literally two years, where we looked at the incidents. Uh, this, this came out about six months ago. It got a fair amount of attention, some national. Many people quote it. Where we looked at where's the hate coming from? You know, who are the people committing the hate against the Jewish people? And where is the hate happening, actually? And these were some of the things we found. It wasn't really a sense, but we did the homework. And we also saw that there were very little consequences for Jew hatred. Nothing much happens to the haters. We know that. So, so who cares? The bad guys know that you can beat up on Jews. Nothing is going to happen. But we found that over 90% of the attacks upon the Jewish people are emanating from other minorities. 69% from the black community. 69%. Now, no one is blaming the black community, but that is a fact that if you don't face it, when when uh, de Blasio was the mayor of New York, all he ever spoke about, I remember talking to him about it, all he spoke about is uh, you know, white supremacists. That's all he talked about. But the facts are what I just pointed out. And if we don't talk about this, and if we don't address this, and if organizations like the ADL don't ask those questions and don't have that discussion, you know, we're not going anywhere. And and by the way, 90 plus percent of all the incidents of assaults upon Jews are happening in four neighborhoods. I mean, there's anti-Semitism happening all over the city, but four neighborhoods over 90%. And that, of course, is Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Borough Park, and Midwood. So why hasn't, you know, the police, the, the leadership of New York, concentrated their efforts in these communities? I mean, there are things that I remember that I'm sure you and I both remember, the days when they would put police officers into communities literally looking like Hasidim or looking like, the women in these neighborhoods to be able to get the bad the bad guys. I have often asked Steve, where's the plan? We have a mayor, Mayor Adams, he cares very much. But can I get a copy or can you get a copy? When there's a serious problem, there's gotta be a plan on how you're gonna deal with it, right? If there's a housing problem, you know, someone comes up with a plan and how we're going to tackle that. If there's a homeless problem, there's a plan. At least on paper, there's a plan. Does the governor, does Governor Hochul have a plan? Does Adams have a plan? Does the president of the United States have a plan? There is no plan. Jew hatred is treated differently than any other kind of hatred. I mean, only imagine if a couple of uh, Hasidim, a couple of identifiably Jewish people, were to attack people in some black community, just a couple, two or three cases, you and I know what would be going on. The rallies, the demonstrations, the discussions on CNN and MSN. Oh, the world would be coming apart. What's going on? But the reverse doesn't count. 
Right. I hear you. Listen, it's, it's an issue. I know that, unfortunately, you don't have a lot of time. So first, tell me about the organization. I want to understand what is this organization called and what do they do and how could people know about it? So what we do is, like the report I just mentioned, which is so information is important, highlighting what's truly going on. You know, the ADL telling us every year, which is great, every year they do this. They tell you how many incidents of anti-Semitism happened in New York, in America. That's great. Okay, but there's a lot more. This is the big thing the ADL does where they get the attention. How about following the cases like we've done? People have been arrested for attacking Jews. What happens to those cases? Would it be wonderful if the ADL took that upon their shoulders to report to the Jewish community to the community at large, what is happening with the perpetrators? That's not something they want to do, in my opinion, for obvious reasons. Because the people, they don't have a problem, by the way, doing it with white supremacists, but not in New York, where we have such a major problem. Number two, I mean, myself and others were out there constantly speaking out, being tough, being strong, being unapologetic, you know, Jewish pride. And, you know, I'm doing interviews all the time. I mean, literally every day, nationally, locally, and putting out material, fighting the fight, and so on and so forth. So we just came out with a book that is like no book that exists in the United States, a brief and visual history of anti-Semitism. Steve, I'm telling you, I'll make sure to get you a copy. It's 600 pages, beautifully done. And one of the features of this book is called Visual. By putting an app on your phone, you can watch 80 videos of the things you're reading about on your phone. You're reading about, uh, you know, the United Nations vote on Israel. You actually watch it says, scan me, and you watch the actual vote at the United Nations. Wow, wow. This is a book. It, it's quite amazing. Uh, and and it is, thank God, getting around, and there's a lot more to do. All the bookstores uh, in our neighborhood have it. Uh, a brief and visual history of anti-Semitism. When I came back from Israel two months ago, uh, it was at Ben-Gurion Airport, all the bookstores in Israel. And, you know, we're still involved in a campaign of getting it out. It's it's Geffen. By the way, some of the forwards for the book, amazing. Abe Foxman, former head of the ADL, the president of Israel did a forward after getting a copy of the book. And he just was blown away by it. And then you have people like, of course, like David Friedman and uh, Danny Danone. Unfortunately, the time is up. But I want to end with like something I call a lightning round. Just some quick questions. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. And let's find out a little bit about Dove Heiken. So here we go. First question. Who is, I think I know the answer to this, by the way, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who's the greatest person you ever met? Oh, my God. Greatest person I ever met. Uh, I'll tell you the greatest figure in my life. Abraham Lincoln. Never met him, but I feel like I do. And to me, you know, I've read at least 20 books about him. One of the most remarkable people in terms of leadership, in terms of, I, I used to say that we should teach Midos using some of the things from Abraham Lincoln. He was such an incredible, special, special 
person. I agree with you, but I love I'm a big fan of Abraham Lincoln myself. I will tell you that the Lubavitcher Rebbe was definitely, I mean, I can't think of anyone next to him or anyone. And I used to go to him and he even sent me on a special mission in Israel to do something for him. Um, I mean, these these were great, great people, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And I got to tell you that Rabbi Meir Kahana was a real leader. Whether you agreed with him or not, it's about leadership. Leadership is not having a title. It's being there and being able to do what needs to be done. When I asked the question, I assumed that was going to be the answer, but it's interesting that you then brought him up. What about, uh, you've met a lot of people in your lifetime, obviously. Is there anyone out there today who you've not met who you would like to meet? Oh, my goodness. By the way, Menachem Begin is another person that I met in Israel way back when I was thrown out of Russia in 1973 and ended up in Israel. Uh, who I would... I, you know, I, I, I could definitely come up with somebody, but, you know, I, I'm never, I'm not a person who, you know, when I was at the White House a number of times and, you know, everybody's taking pictures with everybody. That's never been me. You know, let me get a picture with this guy, a picture with this guy. It's okay to do that, but that's not me. I don't have pictures on my wall of this political person I met, this president I met, this senator. Uh, it's just not my thing. So... Okay, that's okay. Let me ask you another question. Maybe this, maybe this one will be easier. What was the greatest historic moment in your life that you could remember? I think the, the, the one of the greatest moments was when we had our first child, Ardina. That's on a personal level. Let's take on a, on a more national Jewish. You know, like if somebody asked me that question, what was the greatest historic moment in my life? I'm not sure I know the answer, but I think it has to be you know, the Six-Day War and, and just like experiencing that, you know, that period of time in my life was so incredible. I mean, I'll never forget that. I remember that Monday morning in Crown Heights, listening to the news that, uh, you know, I, I'll never forget that the Egyptians had bombed Israeli airfields. That's what they were saying. But I, I got to tell you, just in terms of my life, that I thank Akush Barucho for giving me the opportunity that during the most difficult times for the people of Israel, the Intifada, the first Intifada, the second Intifada, when they were stabbing Jews on a regular basis, you remember that? There was a period where Jews were being stabbed all over the place in Israel. And Gush uh, Katif, okay, things like that. All of those things, I was there. I got up and I went to Israel. I was there during the Intifada constantly to give chizit to give strength. When they were stabbing Jews, I was in New York. I said, what can I do? What can I do? I can't solve the problem. And I said to some of my friends, let's go to Israel and walk the streets and publicize it and let people know that we're doing that. And that's exactly what I did. And Friday night, we walked. This was a period when people were being stabbed all the time. I remember walking in Jerusalem uh, Friday afternoon. Nobody was out. People were not in the streets. And I remember Friday night with the group that I was with, we went to the Kotel. And I said to the group, we are walking through the Arab Shuk. We're not going to be afraid. We're going to be, we're going to be careful. We're going to keep our eyes open. And we went to the Kotel that night, and I met a bunch of lone soldiers who recognized me. And the next thing I knew is that Matsai Shabbos, we had a Kumsitz that I sponsored with lone soldiers. So... 
those are the moments I thank Hashem for giving me the the strength and the insight to go in harm's way, not to be afraid, and be there for the Jewish people during difficult times. Wonderful. Dove, we could go on forever, and I would love to. Now I, now that I know where you daven, I may come. I know you're not allowed to talk in shul, but maybe I'll come just to schmooze with you a little bit. But listen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Dove Heiken, a former member of the New York State Assembly, but so much, so much more. Thank you. Hashem should give you the strength to be the fighter that you are for the Jewish people. We need it. We need it so much. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Unrestricted, hosted by Steve Savisky. The show was produced and edited by Gilad Brownstein and is a production of B'nai Zion.